Well, good evening and welcome to uh, welcome to Dirt Bike Church or ATV Church, whichever the case may be. I'm Chuck Lee Master with Team Faith and what a pleasure to be here in the sunny south here in Florida. Been a good day. Let's go ahead, go to the Lord, have a word of prayer. We'll do chapel and then I think there's something about Supercross on the big screen back there. But right now we just want to honor God with the, with, with the very best part of our time and energy. Lord, thank you so much for today. It's great to be at a racetrack. You put this love of racing in our hearts and we come out here, we get to do this at the national level and we're grateful. We're grateful for the opportunity. We're grateful for the, for the, uh, for the ability. But right now we just want to still ourselves and come before you and just ask you to open our hearts and teach us and show us who you want us to be and uh, use me to do it in Jesus name. Amen. So quick question for you. What, uh, what do Chick-fil-A Hacksaw Ridge and Chariots of Fire all have in common. We'll walk through that for you real quick. All right, Chick-fil-A. We all know about Chick-fil-A, right? What makes Chick-fil-A famous? It's chicken. It's Jesus chicken. That's right. That's right. They, the and let's see, super fast drive-through, right? Stopped at Chick-fil-A the other day. They had a drive-through line wrapped around the building. I think twice. I was like, there's no matter how fast they are, there's no way I'm waiting in that line. Walked in. What's with people? They won't get out of their car to go get a chicken sandwich. Walked in, ordered it, had it, back in the car, off we were going. Anyway, so super fast drive-through. What else about Chick-fil-A makes them famous? Sundays, you got it. They are closed on Sunday. Mr. Truett, S. Kathy Truett, back in 1967. Actually, this was his second restaurant. He had started a restaurant in Georgia, just uh, outside of Atlanta, just south of Atlanta. And uh, he and his brother ran this little tiny restaurant. They didn't open on Sunday. Sunday was the Lord's Day. They are going to open on Sunday. The, a little known fact, I had no idea about this. He discovered a way to pressure fry a chicken, what do you call that, a chicken patty or whatever, and make it as fast as a fast food hamburger. And he licensed that out to different restaurants to do their own Chick-fil-A sandwich. Waffle House used to have the Chick-fil-A chicken patty because they had licensed out Mr. Truett's uh, patented formula or whatever it was. Finally, in 1967, went into business for himself. Chick-fil-A was founded, always closed on Sunday. In 2018, Business Insider uh, said that Chick-fil-A brought in $10.5 billion in revenue, but they were closed on Sunday. And so when you do the math, you, you figure out Chick-fil-A is possibly leaving on the table 14% of their income, which would be over $1.2 billion. If they just open another day, another billion dollars in revenue. Of course, the Truett family said, never going to happen. Matter of fact, Truett Cathy, he wrote in his, uh, he died in 2014, but he wrote a memoir before he died, and it was titled, aptly titled, Eat More Chicken, Inspire More People. And in this book, he said, closing our business on Sunday, the Lord's Day, is our way of honoring God and showing our loyalty to Him. He continued, he said, My brother Ben and I closed our first restaurant on the first Sunday after we opened in 1946. My children have committed to closing our restaurants on Sundays long after I'm gone. I believe that God honors our decision and sets before us unexpected opportunities to do greater work for Him because of our loyalty to Him. Chick-fil-A Anytime that they open up a new restaurant, they always set aside, they donate $25,000 to the local food pantry. They've got the, uh, the Chick-fil-A Foundation that does education, homelessness. They do all kinds of outreach. 
and by honoring God being closed on Sunday, I do believe that their business has expanded and has thrived. So there's there's a quick rundown on Chick-fil-A. Hacksaw Ridge. How many people have seen the movie? Hacksaw Ridge. At least 10 times. <laughs> yes. That's me and Trevor for sure. Great movie. I can't remember, uh, you know, language in it. I think it's actually pretty, it's family friendly, except it's a World War II movie. There's a lot of blood. There's a lot of explosions and bullets and all kinds of stuff. But it's based on the true story of uh, Desmond Doss. Desmond Doss was actually born in 1919. He went on to become the World War II Medal of Honor recipient. In the movie, he joined the Army in 1942. The real-life story is that he was actually drafted into the Army for World War II, but he got an exemption. He did not have to go into the Army because he was working at Newport News, the shipyards. And so since he was building ships for the war effort, he didn't have to join the Army. But he said, I want to join the Army. The thing about Desmond Doss is that he was a committed Christian. He was a Seventh-day Adventist, which means that they honor the Lord's Day on Saturday, the Sabbath day. When he was a young kid, he had an experience in his family. His dad got drunk, pulled a gun, and this is part of the true story, pulled a gun, and had there not been intervention, somebody would have died. And in that moment, Desmond Doss promised God, I will never pick up a gun. Matter of fact, he tells he told the story that he looked on the wall, and this is depicted in the movie, he looked on the wall, and his mom had the Ten Commandments right there, the Fourth Commandment, remember the Sabbath day, honor it, keep it holy. The sixth commandment, thou shalt not kill. In that moment of that d domestic violence, he looked on the wall and he said, he saw thou shalt not kill. And he said, I will never, I will never do that. And so, 1944, 1942, he joins the army. What's one thing you have to do in, in basic training? You have to pick up a gun. <laughs> and so, in the movie, it shows everybody go get your gun. There's one gun left. Who doesn't have a rifle? Boss, what are you doing? He says, I'm not, I'm a conscientious objector. I'm not picking up a rifle. Like, what? You're in the army. You are going to pick up a rifle. You have to pick up a rifle. Matter of fact, the true story is they took a rifle and they shoved it into his hands and he let it fall to the ground. Of course, that ticked off some people and he got drug up before his commanding officer. He got ridiculed publicly, privately. Weekend passes revoked. Passed to attend Sabbath service, revoked, all kinds of harassment. It is true that his dad, a World War I vet, did have to write a letter to one of his old army buddies who, uh, who made a phone call to help Desmond Doss get through basic training. But it wasn't without trial. Finally, Desmond Doss is deployed. In the movie, we see the invasion of Okinawa, and we get to see the, um, uh, the, the escarpment, the, um, the Maeda escarpment which is Hacksaw Ridge, was named Hacksaw Ridge. We get to see that part. Little known, before he even got there, he had already earned two bronze medal or bronze medals for uh, Valor, V with Valor. Already a hero. What he wanted to do was be a medic. He said, I'm not a conscientious objector. I'm a conscientious contributor. I want to save lives, not take lives. And if you will have me in the army, I will save lives. Finally, he gets through it. In the movie, we get to see the true story, the Maeda Escarpment, Invasion of Okinawa, and uh, his, his whole company climbs up the cargo nets, true story, climb up the cargo nets, right into a wall of machine gun fire. Everybody, it seems, is getting mowed down. Darkness sets, company retreats, Desmond stays up on top of that ridge, and he starts saving soldiers under the cover of darkness. And he's putting bandages on, he's applying tourniquets, he's applying uh, IVs, and he gets them over to the, to the top of the cliff, 
And it is true, he formed his own knot that they didn't teach him in the army, but he had learned it in the hills of Virginia growing up as a, as a country boy. He tied a knot and he starts lowering soldiers down over the cliff. His commanding officer, Desmond himself, said that he thinks he, he maybe saved 50 lives. His commanding officer said no, it was 100. The history books record 75. They split the difference. Saved them one after another, after another, after another. Desmond Doss used by God to save lives and change the, the tide of the war. Matter of fact, it says uh, from the Conscientious Objector documentary, it says, while lowering men down the ridge, the Japanese had a clear shot at Desmond Doss. Though it's not depicted in the movie, one Japanese soldier recalled having Desmond in his sights, but every time he went to fire, his gun jammed. Hello. <laughs> Isn't God awesome? The real Dustman Doss, and this is from the Medal of Honor or Oral Stories, the real Dustman Doss considers it a miracle that he made it off the ridge on Okinawa. He says, I should have been killed a number of times. I know who I owe my life to as well as my men. That's why I like to tell this story to the glory of God, because I know from the human standpoint, I should not be here. The true story reveals that he spent 12 hours on the ridge rescuing men, averaging one man every 10 minutes to about 75 people. 75 lives that he saved that day. Honored God, put God first in his life, and God used him with great effect. Chariots of Fire. That's the story of a guy named Eric Liddell. Eric Liddell was born in 1902 in China, born to Scottish missionary parents. His parents were from Scotland. They were missionaries in China. When Eric was a young boy, he was sent back to London to attend boarding school. And there, he not only excelled academically, he excelled athletically. He got into rugby, was very good at rugby, rugby and cricket. He went on to, uh, to college. I forget where it's written down here somewhere. University of Edinburgh. He went to University of Edinburgh where he continued to be rugby. He was the rugby captain, but he also started running track and field. He ran the 100 and the 220 yard. In 1923, he set a national record, the Britain national record of 9.7 seconds in the 100 yard. That record stood for 23 years before anybody could touch it. He was extremely fast in the short distance, the 100 meter. The following year, 1924, were the Olympics in Paris, France. Because of his record setting, they invited him to be part of the Olympic team, one of the highest, actually the highest honor of any athlete. And they wanted him to run, of course, the short distance, the 100 meter, which he had already set records in. He signed up for it, absolutely ready to go. The schedule comes out and the 100 meter qualifiers are gonna be held on Sunday. And he says, I am a committed Christian. Sunday is the Lord's day. I have never run on a Sunday in my life and I'm not gonna start doing it now, not even for the Olympics. Minds exploded. <laughs> this is before the internet, of course. So newspapers, excoriated him. I mean, they really threw him to the wolves, called him all kinds of names, including a traitor to his country because he wouldn't represent them in the, in the Summer Olympics in Paris, France in the 100 meter dash. And so Eric said, you know what? I'm, I'm pleased, I'm proud to represent my country. I'll do something that's not on a Sunday. I'll do the, I'll do the 400, I'll do the 400 meter. And they said, well, you're not any good at it. You're good. We signed you up because you're a 100 yard sprinter. The 400, your times aren't really all that great. He's like, well, I'll train. All right, we need somebody to do that anyway, so have at it. He starts training. In qualifying, he set a time, 400 meter time of 49.2 seconds, which is faster than any of us can do it. But by international standards in 1924, it was mediocre. 
it was whatever. It gets you to the race. You qualified for the race, but he was the last gate pick. I don't know if that's how they term it in track and field, but he was all the way to the outside. So he got the worst lane on the track. Race day comes, he's on the worst lane on the track, the gun fires and he sprints it out. He knows he's all he can possibly do is hopefully get ahead of the Americans who were the, uh, the, the steepest competition that year. If he could just get ahead of the Americans for half the race, maybe he could be competitive in bronze, silver, something. 200 meters into it, halfway through the race, he's in the lead, he doesn't see anybody around. He knows he can't let up, he just sprints it out, sprints it out, comes down to the very final steps. And Eric Liddell crosses the finish line in first place, gold medal for Great Britain. Not only a gold medal in the Olympics, but an Olympic record, a world record, 47.2 seconds time, two seconds faster than his qualifying time. There's a movie came out in 1981 called Chariots of Fire. I never bothered to watch it because that's one of those old movies, right? Now I want to see it. It's based on his life, Eric Liddell. He quit running after that, uh, after that moment. He actually quit running. He went back to, mission to China as a missionary. Uh, this was after the Japanese invasion and uh, the Japanese had been rounding up uh, the, the locals harassing them well when Eric was there they started rounding up the foreigners also put Eric into a concentration camp where he organized a school and a church started sharing the gospel with anybody who would listen he died at the age of 43 years old in concentration camp uh, they said it was it was cancer uh, in the brain don't really know all the exact details but what we do know is that God used Mr. Le, uh, uh, Mr. Eric's life with great effect and so now, I'll ask you again, what do Chick-fil-A, Hacksaw Ridge, and Chariots of Fire, what do they have in common? God. Yeah, God. Now, we could look at it and say, well, wait a second, there's Chick-fil-A and there's Eric Liddell. They didn't want to do anything on Sunday. And then, of course, we got the Sabbath day for Desmond Doss. Is that where we're going with this? Like, remember the Sabbath? Now, that's actually not it. And this isn't an argument over, is it Saturday or Sunday? Matter of fact, just, just as a little rabbit trail, uh, Romans 14.5, Paul says, one person esteems one day is better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes a special day does so to the Lord. So we're here on a Saturday evening. There are churches gathering all over the world tomorrow morning. We're here to esteem the Lord. So we're not into legalism. That's not where we're going with this. Matter of fact, the, there was a coach on Eric Liddell's team uh, who, who was one of the running coaches. The day of Eric's race, slipped a note into his pocket. When Eric pulled the note out, it said, uh, the, the note read, in the old book, it says, he that honors me, I will honor. Wishing you the best of success always. Eric Liddell immediately recognized that as 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 30. He who honors me, I will honor. That's a promise. And uh, I'll dig into the context of that for you, but it's a promise that God has given to us in his word. But it's not, I want you to be aware, it's not a life full of ease. I mean, if you think about it, Chick-fil-A, what does Chick-fil-A have to deal with? I mean, re they're always making headline news because uh, they take a stance for the family. They All they have is a stance that we believe that there's a God, that he ordained man and woman, and that's, that's the sanctity of marriage. They're always in the news over that. I remember about, I can't remember, I couldn't find, it seems like, it seems like sometimes my research is whitewashed. When I go and try to pull up an article from years ago, um, I can't find it anymore, but I remember distinctly when Chick-fil-A was opening up in the Denver airport, there was a big blow up because they wouldn't open up on Sunday. And so they were gonna have to pay the fines 
to be in the Denver airport. And Chick-fil-A said, well, that's no problem. We pay fines in malls all over the country. And that's our business model. We factor that in as a cost of doing business. And so they're in the, they, they ended up in the Denver airport. Funny thing is, because they, they pay fines in all these malls because they're closed on Sunday and the mall is open, so the mall actually fines them for closing. I was in our mall in Chattanooga not too long ago, just a few weeks ago, and the only place that was busy was Chick-fil-A. Everything else was dead. Some of them were even shuttered up, but Chick-fil-A still had a line waiting for those chicken sandwiches that I have to eat two of in order to get full. Desmond Doss. A life of ease? I think not. You watch the movie, you get a real accurate picture of what life was like for him. Constantly ridiculed, put down, harassed. Uh, Eric Liddell called in national papers a traitor. It's not a life full of ease, but he who honors me, I will honor. And I want to be, we're very careful at this chapel service. We always want to put things in context. So let me dig into it a little bit. That verse, he who honors me, I will honor. Let's go ahead and look at it. Uh, it's in 1 Samuel chapter 2. But the whole book of Samuel, 1 Samuel, is about a guy named Samuel. I mean, that's not, that's not really mind-blowing, right? It's about the, the greatest prophet or the greatest judge that Israel ever had. It starts out in chapter 1. Elkanah and Hannah. Hannah had no children. And she prayed to God that she could have a child. Elkanah and Hannah, they always took a trip to Shiloh every year because that's where the tabernacle was at. This is before the days of the temple, and Shiloh was the place where the tabernacle had finally rested with the Ark of the Covenant. When you read in Exodus about the uh, the Israelites and the Ark of the Covenant and, and uh, the mercy seat and the cherubim and all that stuff, the Holy of Holies, all of that stuff was located in Shiloh. And there was a priest there named Eli who kind of had charge of the tabernacle and the Ark of the Covenant. And so they would take they would take their trip every year to come to this, what they considered the holy city, and they would you know, do their, their festivals there. And Hannah one day was praying that she wanted a child, but she was praying to herself. And so she was kind of muttering the words. Eli saw her and assumed that she was drunk. And so he called her out. Woman, you ought not be drunk in this place. She says, no, no, that's not how it is. I am praying. He's like, oh, well, well, I stand corrected. Whatever you're praying for, I, it'll happen for you. Well, sure enough, a year later, she's pregnant. She has, a, she has a little baby, and she had promised God, I will dedicate this child to you. If you will give me a child, I will dedicate him to you. And so when the child was of age, she, sure enough, she did exactly what she said she would do, and she brought him to Eli to dedicate him to the Lord, not only just to dedicate him like what we do with a baby dedication. This, by the way, this passage is where the baby dedications come from because we saw how it worked for Hannah. She dedicated her child to the Lord and the child was raised in the admonition of the Lord, grew up to accomplish great things. That's what we want as parents. But Hannah, she actually dropped the child off with Eli, which is actually pretty huge because as we read, as we read in chapter two, she prays a prayer of dedication. And then in chapter two, verse 12, we get to learn about what kind of father Eli was. It says, Eli's sons were wicked men. They had no regard for the Lord, so that they would steal from the sacrifices that people would eat, and they would eat the very best parts of the meat that was brought in. It says, the sin of the young men was very great in the Lord's sight, for they were treating the Lord's offering with contempt. Worse than that, they would seduce the young women that would come to the tabernacle, and they would sleep with them. And everybody knew what was going on. Verse 21, meanwhile... Samuel grew up in the presence of the Lord. Parents, never discount your prayers for your kids because God is awesome. 
Because despite everything that's happening between Eli and his sons, Samuel is growing up in the presence of the Lord. Now Eli, who was very old, heard about everything his sons were doing to all of Israel and how they slept with the women who served at the entrance of the tent of meeting. So he said to them, why do you do such things? I hear from all the people about these wicked deeds of yours. No, my sons, it is not good. In other words, tisk tisk. Y'all not do that. Your parents, does that ever work? Of course not. I, I, I wish it would, but you got to do more than just tell them. Now a man of God came to Eli and said to him, and we don't know who this man of God is. We just know it's a man of God that comes to Eli and says, This is what the Lord says. Did I not clearly reveal myself to your father's house when they were in Egypt under Pharaoh? And when he says it's your father's house, he's talking about Aaron. Because Eli was of the priestly order. Eli was a priest. All the priests descended from Aaron, who was Moses' brother. Moses led the people out of, out of Egypt. Aaron was his brother. God instituted Aaron. Aaron, you are going to be the priest. All the priests are going to come from, uh, from your, your lineage. And so God ordained Aaron to become the priest. Eli ended up being descended from Aaron. And God was clear, you guys are a chosen people. You're going to be lots of people, lots of land, a blessing to the entire earth, right? And so in Deuteronomy chapter 8, Moses tells the people, if you obey, you'll be blessed. If you disobey, you'll be cursed. The man of God says to Eli, he says, Why do you honor your sons more than me by fattening yourselves in the choice parts of every offering made by the people of Israel? In chapter 4, First Samuel chapter 4, we find out that Eli is very fat. And uh, so not only were his sons eating the choice of meat, Eli was participating in it, guilty by association. 1 Samuel verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 30 says, Therefore, because of this, Eli, the God of Israel declares, I promise that your house and the house of your fathers should go in and out before me forever. But now the Lord declares, Far be it from me, for those who honor me I will honor. And those who despise me I will lightly esteem. Eli, there's a promise that I made to Aaron that his descendants would always be priests. You're a part of that promise, but you aren't the promise. I'm cutting you off. I'm cutting you because you have not honored me. You hold me with such light regard, I will return the favor. I will hold you with light esteem. The prophet went on to declare frightful things against Eli. He says, your sons are going to die on the same day. Matter of fact, your entire family is going to be cut off. In your family line, there will never be an old man. He says, I will raise up someone else. And as you read through Samuel, you'll see that Samuel was part of that promise of raising up somebody else. Jesus was the ultimate fulfillment of that right there. Wow, do we need to crowd in? Is it raining? I'll talk faster. Hey, come on in. We got, we got a couple empty chairs here and there. Chapter 4, uh, the story continues. Chapter 4 is actually, this is during a battle. The Israelites go out to war against the Philistines. And they foolishly took the ark with them. We've all seen Raiders of the Lost Ark, right? At the very beginning of the movie, Marcus, Indiana Jones' friend, says to Indy, says, uh, hey, I want you to go on this excursion, find the Lost Ark. He says, the Bible speaks of the Ark leveling mountains, laying waste to entire regions. An army that carries the Ark before it is invincible. That's in the movie. The script of the movie is on display in a museum. And in the margin of the script, Harrison Ford, the actor who played Indiana Jones, hand wrote in the margin says where in the bible does it say that it doesn't matter of fact here in the bible this is the passage that talks about 
going in, taking the ark into the battle with them. And here's what the Bible says. The ark of God was captured, and Eli's two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, died, just like God said they would. The news comes to Eli, and he's sitting on a chair. He hears the news that his sons have been killed. He falls off of his chair, and he's so fat that he breaks his own neck. Now, who thought the Bible was boring? <laughs> you can't make this stuff up, right? <laughs> Here's the deal, though. God said, those who honor me, I will honor, and those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. You read the rest of 1 Samuel. It's the story of uh, Samuel growing up, honoring the Lord, and you see how greatly he was used. Now, and, uh, here's the question for you. Are you honoring the Lord? Are we? Am I honoring the Lord? He's not asking for something from us that's uh, kind of out there that doesn't apply to everybody. He's not asking us to honor the Sabbath day or, or to not race dirt bikes on Sunday or to not defend ourselves. He's not asking any of that. But are you honoring the Lord? with what you do know to do, with what he has convicted you to do. I have said this time and time again, and I'll say it again. Kids in school, guys at work, girls at work, you want people to know that you're a Christian? You don't have to be weird. You don't have to have a bowl haircut. You don't have to wear high water jeans, any of that weirdness. All you have to do is don't cuss. Just don't cuss. And people will see it. And they will start to ask you eventually. It'll come to their attention. Why don't you cuss? And it's the door wide open. I'm a Christian. I just want to honor God with my language. And it starts a simple conversation. It's the little things that we do that honor God. He who honors me, I will honor. I'll tell you what. At the banquet this past year, if you went to the banquet on bike night, I was tremendously encouraged. Jordan Ashburn won the championship this past year. And I'm not trying, I don't know if he's here tonight. I'm not trying to put him up on a pedestal because when people are on a pedestal, it's really easy to knock them off. And that's not what I'm doing. But Jordan Ashburn set an example. I've known him for a long time. He's always honored his parents, honored his father and mother, honored his wife. He's lived a humble and quiet life. I've never seen him cuss. He's had reason to. He's had incidents on the track that uh, hard to keep your temper. He's always done well, though. He's always honored the Lord with the way that he lived his life. He won the championship this year. I was talking to his dad earlier tonight. He's like, do you think he did that without the Lord? <laughs> no. <laughs> he had The Lord was clearly on Jordan's side. The, the, uh, the video for the banquet was so inspiring. Every champion, every year, gets Racer Productions puts together, Racer TV puts together a little five-minute video that shows the season recap and it's always an inspiring and motivating video that you get to watch, makes you want to go ride your dirt bike afterwards. Jordan's, uh, Jordan's video started with a black screen, white letters, said Colossians 3.17. And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Amen. And then it went right into his season recap. And you're getting to see him riding through riding through mud, riding through sand. And there's a song playing in the background. It's Brandon Lake, Too Good to Not Believe. And there's there's a pause where the announcer's not saying anything. And you just hear the words of the song saying, I've seen miracles. I've seen that dead boy raised to life. I've seen what God can do. Man, it still gives me chills there. He who honors me, I will honor. It's the little things that we do in our life that honor the Lord. And there is coming a day where our convictions, we are going to have to stand firm on our convictions. On the way here, I heard the news that in California, they're firing school teachers that will not sign a statement saying that they won't tell the parents about the lifestyle choices of the children. 
So if a child decides that they want to change their gender, I'll sign this piece of paper. I won't tell the parents. We've had one parent stand or one school teacher stand up in California and say, I am not signing that covenant. I will tell the parents about the choices their children are making at school. She got fired. And now she's on national news saying there are other there are other teachers in California that disagree with this, but none of them are putting their jobs on the line. And yet we see Desmond Doss, Eric Liddell, even Chick-fil-A. We see examples all around us of people that honored God first and God honored them in return. He who esteems me lightly, I'll lightly esteem in return. It's a sobering thought to think, and I'm not here to stomp on feet, but I love the Lord and I want to see His best in my life. And so when I'm doing those little things that I think nobody sees, there is definitely someone who does see and He'll honor in return. Lord, I pray that You take us from this place, encourage us, to live our lives for you because when we live our lives for you you put the pieces together you weave the tapestry we know it's not a magic formula this is relationship i want to be in such close relationship with you that my life makes a difference to the people around me in small ways or in great ways whatever ways you want lord and i pray that for everybody under this tent right now lord i pray that we will fully commit our lives to be used by you that we will honor you and we know that you'll honor us in return May your best be accomplished on this race series. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for hanging out. Need anything? My name's Chuck. Stop by. Be happy to pray with you. Otherwise, I'll see you out there uh, on the start line tomorrow.